Sportsnet 960, the fan is CFAC 960 AM Calgary, a Rogers Sports and Media Radio Station. This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition, another week. It's week two of Hockey Central. My name's Haley Salvian alongside Logan Gordon. He's the host of Sportsnet Today. He does kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of thing on Sportsnet. So he's going to be riding shotgun with me for the next hour. Calgary Flames kicking off their eight-game homestand against the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. That's Tuesday. Game goes at 7 p.m. Derek Wills has the call on Sportsnet 960. And I'm hearing alongside Pat Steinberg. He's going to be pinch hitting in the color commentary seat on Sports at 960. The fan, that's one of eight games around the league Tuesday night. Uh, the aforementioned Pat Steinberg is going to join us at 110 to tee up that game. Calgary Flames, Vegas Golden Knights. And then Ken Belke from Sin Bin Vegas is going to come later on in the show at around 135 to get a little bit into the Golden Knights. What can we realistically expect from this season? Are they back? Are the Golden Knights a contender again? Is goaltending a question mark? I'm curious with the Knights, you know, objectively speaking, how their talent level stacks up against some of the best in the West. That's Calgary, Edmonton, Colorado. So we'll talk to Ken about that later on in the show. And we're going to talk about the matchup, of course, coming up on Tuesday night. But first, let's bring in Logan Gordon. Logan, it's a big game day for you, too. I mentioned that uh, Steinberg is going to be in the color seat, and you've got a bunch going on tonight. Is that right? Yeah, I'll hop on pregame with Pat, and then uh, to give him a break during color uh, in between his color shifts, I will, uh, I'll do intermissions on Flames game tonight. So it's going to be a big one. It is a big one. I mean, I, I, before we just get started in, into the show, what are you most excited about or, or looking forward to? Like, what's a big storyline for you with this game between the Flames and the Golden Knights? Well, I guess it's just kind of continuing the start for the Calgary Flames, I guess, for an opportunity to go 3-0 and for the first time since 2010. It seems hard to believe, given how good some of the teams have been for the Flames since 2010, uh, that we're only talking about this today. But you know, hey, it's been a good start against Edmonton, a good start against Colorado. I'm not sure that Vegas is the pushover just because they're missing a goaltender that everyone thinks they might be. So I think if they can continue that and turn it into another win tonight, I think you're talking about a pretty good start for the Flames. So that's what I'll be watching for. And, and one thing, too, to, to keep in mind, in 10 Flames Golden Knights meetings since Vegas joined the NHL, the home team is 8-2. and two. That's the record for, for the home team in those matchups, this game is going off at the Saddle Dome, as mentioned. The Flames kicking off an eight-game homestand, and that stat was uh, from Ryan Pike, who's one of the co-hosts on Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg. So something to keep in mind. Um, you know, the home, home, I almost said home field. Geez, too much football this weekend. There was no hockey games on Saturday or Sunday. Geez. So I just sat and watched football all day, so I'm thinking about the field. Anyways, home arena, home ice, seems to matter in these big Pacific Division Western Conference games that we're talking about. Um, you know, one one note to bring up before we bring on Pat and before we talk about a couple of things, because I do have one storyline I want to get into, maybe a little game level of concern 
with you, Logan, before we get to Pat. Okay. Um, but first, one one little note. The NHL Board of Governors meeting is uh, today in New York City. It's not really a huge one, per se, and, and this is from Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman. I think we're expecting some more clarity maybe on future salary caps, as well as a discussion about the league's diversity and inclusion initiatives. So according to Friedman, he did a little preview on Sportsnet.ca. He said, something to keep an eye on here. Nothing confirmed. We don't know that this is coming for sure. Um, but something to keep an eye on is an update regarding the NHL's investigation into the World Junior Championships lawsuit um, that was recently settled from the 2018 gold medal winning team's uh, celebration in London. We had Katie Strang on last week on, on the debut show to kind of talk a bit about everything that's been going on with Hockey Canada that's stemmed from this lawsuit. So earlier this month at Craft Hockeyville in Newfoundland, Gary Bettman said that they're waiting for the final report and he's, quote, told we are much closer to the end of the investigation than the beginning. They will respond once that investigation's done. So this Board of Governors meeting might be an opportunity for that update if that investigation is over. So haven't seen anything out of those meetings at this time as it relates to that investigation, as it relates to the salary cap or any other initiatives or agenda items, but we'll keep you posted on that throughout the next hour. And certainly that will likely come up on Sportsnet from Elliot Friedman, who is at those meetings. All right. So we are about one week into the season. Some notable games on Monday night, Toronto, Maple Leafs, they lose the Arizona Coyotes 4-2. to two. Uh, The Leafs have not beat Arizona at home in regulation since 2002, um, which was just an incredible stat that the Coyotes admin posted last night after. It was actually ended up being a pretty wild game. It looked like a, a big stinker that most people probably would have <laughs> seen coming. Any Leafs fan probably saw, saw that coming. Nick Ritchie, of course, who they traded last year, opens the scoring. Leafs go down 2-0 to one of the worst teams in the league in Arizona. And uh, this is a team with a track record of playing down to its opponents. They end up making game of its 2-2, and then there's the big hand pass. I don't even know want to call it a controversy, the big debacle. There's a review. 30 seconds left in the game. Alex Kerfoot scores. The refs say that Morgan Riley made a hand pass to Mitch Marner, who then made the play to Alex Kerfoot. Goal gets overturned. The Maple Leafs thought that the puck maybe went off of a skate or a stick on the way down before it got to Mitch Marner. But regardless, goals overturned. Toronto Maple Leafs, they're 2-2 two and two to start the season. And uh, Sheldon Keefe kind of called out his elite players last night, saying that they haven't found their rhythm, haven't really been good enough, didn't change the game. Again, against one of the worst teams in the league in Arizona, this is another one of those teams that's kind of designed to be bad. So... Wasn't great. Uh, Boston Bruins, they beat the Florida Panthers 5-3. to three. Kings beat Detroit 5-4 in overtime. That was a fun one. There was another fun overtime game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sean Monaghan, former Flame, another great game. But these are the two big ones that I want to talk about with you, Logan, and then and get into a little bit with, with my little game here. And then maybe Pat can can join in once once he's probably listening, if he's paying attention, if he's even a fan, if he's even a friend at all. Uh, Colorado Avalanche, they beat the Minnesota Wild last night 6-3. to three. Minnesota's lost three games, zero wins this season. And this is another team that was expected to be a cup contender, playoff contender at the very least, I would say, in the playoff picture. Then Washington, they beat Vancouver 6-4, to four, another blown lead for the Canucks. They had a players-only meeting after the game, and that's uh, three games in for Vancouver. 
So to me, a big story right now, and, and again, we will always preface this. It's the second week of the show. It's the first week of the season. It's early. We know that. Um, but I do think a big story right now lies with some of these winless teams in the league. One week, it's the, you know, a one-week slump. It's it's like the short slump that even the best teams go through a few times per year in the regular season. Sometimes it's a little bit more than that. Sometimes teams stop the bleeding. Um it just looks particularly bad when it comes in the first week of the season. So the little game, the conversation I want to have here, Logan, is is like where's the level of concern with some of these teams? Because I think some of them, it's higher than others. Like the panic button is inching a little bit closer for some of these teams because of who they are, the expectations, maybe the way that they've been losing. Mm-hmm. So we've got Columbus Blue Jackets. They're 0-3. New Jersey Devils 0-2. Lindy Ruff got booed at their home opener, and that was actually kind of sad. I didn't love that. He looked upset. He Like, when he noticed that they were booing him, the gif was really upsetting. I had to, you know, block it from my timeline in my my memory. Ottawa Senators 0-2. Minnesota Wild 0-3. Vancouver Canucks 0-3. San Jose Sharks 0-4. So I, gotta, I just talked for a while, and I apologize because I was going to bring you on. Um, who is the most concerning? out of that group of teams to you right now, Logan? Oh, that's <laughs> tough. It's it's a close battle between Minnesota and Vancouver, and I think I have to lean towards Minnesota in all of this. I don't love what's happening in Vancouver, and I can understand why a, a players-only meeting three games into the season probably doesn't bode well for the rest of your season. I don't know that you're – you're loving that and that your coach is, yeah, we're, we're pretty mentally weak right now. That's not a great sign three games in no, the season. But I don't for, think so. But for Minnesota, I think the expectations might be a little bit higher. And for me, Haley, the biggest change in Minnesota this offseason came in goal, and that's mm-hmm. where they're struggling most right now is keeping the puck out of their own net. And I know a couple of the guys on Minnesota have talked about, hey, we need to do a better job you know, helping our goaltenders out, but – I mean, you put a lot of you put all your eggs in the Marc Andre Fleury basket, moving Cam Talbot to Ottawa, and so far the results have not been good. I know Philip Gustafson got the start last night; he didn't look any better than Marc Andre Fleury has so far. And when you're three games into the season, you've let in 20 goals so far. That's not a great outlook for the rest of your season. I just think the expectations in Minnesota a little higher than they would be in Vancouver, so. I, I think I have to give the, the tie-breaking decision to Minnesota just because of that, but both of those teams haven't got off to the most inspiring starts this year. And there was one goal against last night against the Colorado Avalanche that was you know a pretty perfect microcosm of what's been a really bad start to the Minnesota Wild season. It was kind of just a routine play, like a 99 times out of 100, it's you know, a save or or the puck gets frozen or steered to the side. Like typically the play that happens here, like it's not a goal against. Um, but on this particular play, um, the puck trickled through Philip Gustafs's pads and ended up on the stick of Miko Rantanen, who then put it in the empty net. Um, you know, it was the backbreaking goal. The Avs are up um, for good. They end up winning six to three, as we mentioned. And this is at home in Minnesota. 
And it was just this microcosm, again, you know, the perfect kind of illustration of maybe what's been going wrong. And I don't know if it's too, like, I, I don't know if I feel like I'm overreacting to say, like, are the Minnesota Wild approaching a goaltending crisis? You shouldn't have to score a touchdown to win in the NHL. Um, and it's games like Monday's where Minnesota has played well enough, you know, they played well enough offensively, but they can't keep up because the hole that they're digging for themselves uh, with the goals against. And I think it's tricky because you can look at stuff like this and say, okay, um, you know, maybe the defense isn't doing that well. Maybe the forwards need to do a better job of keeping the puck in the zone. There's so many things that need to happen for the puck to get to the goalie, for the goalie to make the poor save. Sure, all that can be true. Um, But I think when you look at some of the underlying or some of the more advanced goalie analytics above just goals against um, or the I mean, the goals against look pretty bad, too. And when you're talking about, you know, letting in 20 goals in the season and your starting goalie is Marc-Andre Fleury and you've got Philip Gustafson. Um, But when you look at Fleury, he's allowed six more goals above expected, which is last in the league among goaltenders. So. That means that the Wild aren't just letting in a ton of goals per game. They're allowing more than they should based on what the defense is allowing the other teams to do, right? Like that's the kind of expected goals model. You know, the Colorado Avalanche are getting into the zone and and they're expected to score two goals, but they score six. That's not the exact number from that game, but overall through his first couple starts, Fleury is, is allowing six more goals than expected. Again, that's last in the league. So it's not great. The, the goaltending is is a problem. And as you mentioned, like they they had the, the offseason moves. And I think, you know, maybe there's a reason why Bill Guerin is is thinking about going flurry and Talbot. You know, we've got two older guys. We'll maybe split them. We see the the tweet from Talbot's. I think there was a quote from Talbot's agent. So then Bill Guerin ends up changing course. They make the trade. Phil Gustafson's now their number two. So you've kind of got an older, he's 38-year-old Marc-Andre Fleury struggling to start the season and an unproven backup slash, you know, 1B goalie in Phil Gustafson. So things don't look great. Um, I'm not ready to hit the panic button and say it's over, but I don't know. doesn't look great. I, I don't feel great about what we've seen in Minnesota so far. Um, I think as it relates to Vancouver Canucks, I, I'm not sure. I, I think Demko, his, when we're looking at the goals saved above expected, he's the second worst in the league behind Marc-Andre Fleury. So he's not doing great either. I think some of the issues in Vancouver are things we maybe could have seen coming. They don't have a perfect blue line. I don't know. What do you think about Vancouver? Because I think the other teams, as you look down, some of them, I don't think they're, you know, I, I'm not really concerned about Columbus because I didn't think that they were there yet. You know, three regulation losses, all by three goals. They got a tough road schedule. You know, they played against Carolina and Tampa, St. Louis. Um, but I didn't think that Columbus was going to be there yet. Certainly not with Patrick Liney out. I think you look at Ottawa, I think they'll be fine. I guess that you could hit the panic button a little bit on New Jersey. You thought maybe their goalie situation was going to be better this year. Uh, Maybe their power play was better. Defending was going to be better. Jack Hughes is going to take another step, and the Devils are going to be good. Uh, They haven't won a game yet either. So I would would say, though, I'm with you. I think Vancouver and Minnesota are a little bit troubling. 
think we've got Pat Steinberg on the line, though. On the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Have we got Pat? Pat's here. Pat, have you been listening? I have. What do you think? What's your level of concern with some of these teams who haven't won yet? We were talking about Minnesota, Vancouver, but I think New Jersey's maybe up there. I'm not really concerned about Columbus. I didn't think they were going to be very good. Not really concerned about San Jose. I don't really care. But I think when you're looking at like Jersey, Minnesota, Vancouver, maybe if Ottawa doesn't have a great start in their homestand, maybe if the next week goes badly, you can start to get worried. But I think those three are the kind of top of mind. Like, oof, what's going on? Yeah, the two for me are Vancouver and Ottawa. Ottawa because there was so much excitement and there was so much um, there, there was so much expectation that maybe this was after after Pierre Dorian summer and going and getting Claude Giroux and Alex DeBrinkett and Cam Talbot and you're just thinking to yourself maybe this is the year that Ottawa takes that next step and you know maybe the Sens are ready to finally be competitive again and then they get the injury right off the hop before before they even play a regular season game and uh, and now they haven't won and I mean all of this stuff is us um, you know failing to take into account that it's two and three and four games of 82 so we're talking about you know five percent of the season with 95 percent left but that that one that one's maybe a little bit more uh, disappointing just because I was I was really hoping that Ottawa could do something this year and and I still think they can but that would be somewhat concerning but the one the, the, the Vancouver one is the one that jumps off the page to me most and I say that because it's not just the fact that they've lost and it's not just the way that they've lost which have not been very good losses and the way that they have let games slip away or games that look destined for overtime end up being regulation losses or whatever the case may be but it's also the temperature in that town is already red hot. I mean, it, to be a losing team in that market, and especially when the expectations are to be a winning team in that market, it's just, it's no fun. And there are people, I love Canucks Twitter. It is the most entertaining of all the team fan bases, not necessarily for good reasons, but I always find it quite entertaining. Like there are people talking about, you know, could this mean that Bruce Boudreaux is already on the hot seat? And you're thinking to yourself, how is that actually a conversation? <laughs> and yet, and yet there's a lot of talk that with, with this management group and the fact that, you know, they, they, they really, it took a little while for them to decide exactly what was going to happen with Bruce and, you know, people are talking about how he still may not be their first choice as head coach, and they want to evaluate to see how things go in the early going. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. The Canucks, with that goaltender, with some of their really high-end players, the expectation for many was for them to be very much in the mix in the Pacific Division. And again, it's early, so of course they still can. But that's the one that's most interesting to me just because the temperature in that market is already at like 100 degrees and they're three games into a season. Absolutely, and I, the temperature in Calgary is a little bit different. Pat, obviously you're the host of Flames Talk. I hear you're going to be doing the color commentary. You're sliding into the radio booth tonight for the Flames yeah. Golden Knights game. Congratulations. Have Actually, you? That's great. I'm sitting in two, I'm sitting in two chairs tonight because 
Uh, we had a little bit of a last-minute change on television, so Kelly Rudy is not able to do the television broadcast tonight, and neither is Rick Ball. So we've got uh, we've got Harner Ryan and Labardius on television tonight on Sportsnet West. And then, yeah, Derek and I are going to bring you the uh, the radio broadcast on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm looking forward to it. I enjoy doing color every once in a while. So, well, I still have the pregame show at 6, and then um, I'll just stay. Because, you know what? You just need to hear more of me. You never you never hear enough of me. So you've got That's to what I was going to say. More from me. Um, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. And uh, uh, happy to uh, fill the big shoes or try to fill the big shoes of Lou tonight um, as he uh, as he'll be on Sportsnet West on television. And that'll be great for, for P. Labardius. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be prepping. I haven't seen the other rundowns, but I'm sure he'll be on you know Sportsnet today or, or somewhere else. And somebody can give him a nice congratulations because that'll be, that'll be a big seat for Peter Labardius tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights. And so I want to get to that matchup with you, Pat. Jacob Markstrom gets the start. Everything else looks pretty much the same versus Vegas tonight from the morning skate. What are you expecting? Is there something specific you're, you're looking for from the flames against the Golden Knights in their first matchup of the season? Well, I just, I'm, I'm really excited for another measuring stick and a different type of team. So the flames have got two wins and two games to start the year. And They've done it against the defending cup champs and the teams of the cup champs beat in the Western conference final. And, you know, I think there's some similarities in the, the way that Edmonton and Colorado played, especially when you take a look at the high end forwards and how high tempo and high octane they like to play their uh, transition game and how much you have to be alert when those two teams start going in transition and have to, with Colorado, it's mostly, we know it's McKinnon, but they also have that added layer of Taves and Byram and obviously Kale McCarr of, of their transition game to the neutral zone is so deadly that if you're not, if you're not prepared for it and you get caught flat footed, well, then it's an easy zone entry. And a lot of times it's a, a really quality scoring opportunity. And then they go to Edmonton. And obviously we know that what McDavid does and, and how he basically, um, he basically runs their transition game when he's on the ice and same thing there. And the flames did a pretty good job, not perfect. And the coaching staff will tell you that, nothing's perfect and there's still lots to work on, but um, the, they, they did a pretty good job against both of those teams, especially in that regard. Vegas, a very different team uh, under, under Bruce Cassidy in his fourth game. Now um, they, they're still a team that's based on, you know, very similar to the way that Bruce coached the Boston Bruins, where they were one of the, the top puck possession teams in the NHL every year under him. And, and Vegas has been very much similar um, all of that, the the way that Vegas plays, I think, is a little bit of a different challenge for the Flames and kind of similar to the way they play in terms of they like to be tenacious on pucks. They like to uh, – it, it's all about getting the puck back as soon as you don't have it. Um, and it's all about, you know, being in on the forecheck and, and trying to get that sustained zone time, less about the transition game. So I, I'm really excited to see how the Flames deal with that challenge. And the Golden Knights have looked really good early on. So 
That's that's kind of the thing that excites me the most. I've really liked the Hannafin-Anderson pairing so far. They're going to have tough responsibility again, and Daryl's going to be able to match them up with whoever he wants. And so far in two games, the Hannafin-Anderson pairing has taken on the toughest matchups, and they've done really, really good with them. And then Mm -hmm. I think the Kadri line with Manjapani and Dubé is a perfect kind of counter to how Vegas likes to play. And, And I think those guys are going to be key once again tonight. They've been great so far through two games. And just this stuff, the way that this game shapes up like it probably will, the style that it's likely going to be played, I I think that we're talking about um, that line having to be important again tonight as well. Absolutely. I think, you know, that line has been one of the kind of early takeaways, just how, how well they've seen to mesh together quite quickly and how their skill sets all kind of complement each other really well. Um, I've, I've really liked the line of Dubé Mangiapane and Nazem Kadri so far. I want to ask you about the top line, Pat. And you did mention the blue line, and we'll get to that in a second because I am curious to get a little bit more into that top four. Um, but when you're looking at the the, the top six, maybe, on, in the forward group, we like the second line. Um, I know there's some fans who who wondered in the preseason, is it going to be Toffoli? Is it going to be Mangiapane? Who's the most natural fit to play with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto? That line, um, obviously we know now that it's Toffoli on the top line to start. Um, they have not scored at 5-on-5 five five yet. They also haven't been mm-hmm. on the goal, on the ice for a goal against yet. So, you know, it's not like, you know, we're, we're you know, there's a big issue here. And it's also keeping in mind they've played 17 minutes together at 5-on-5. So it's a teeny sample size. Um, But but what have you seen from that top line in terms of something they can build off of um, or something that you need to see from them? Where would you assess that top trio for the Flames right now? Well, I still think they're working some kinks out. I I think that's the number one thing is that they're, they're still... They're still determining what they are, and and they're still learning about the the other guys on that line. Um, when when West was with me last week on Flames Talk, uh, he made a really good point. Basically, like when you think about it, the other three forward lines on this team, there's all some familiarity, right? Richie and Lucic have played a lot together. Obviously, Backlund and Coleman played a ton together last year, and they worked so well together. And Manjapani Dubé have a lot of have a lot of track record of playing together and are also really good friends off the ice. So that also helps. Whereas Jonathan Huberto is brand new. Tyler Toffoli played like seven shifts all last season with Elias Lindholm and Lindholm's lost his two line mates that he played almost exclusively with last season. So it's, it's an adjustment for all three of them. And there's no familiarity there None of those guys have ever played much together at all, if at all. So I think that that is a big reason what what we're seeing right now is it's just going to take a little bit of time for them to learn about the different tendencies and what works best. And I, I think that Toffoli's admitted it. I think Lindholm is is dealing with it. When you're playing with a distributor like Huberdeau, who is as deceptive with his passing as anybody I've ever seen, You've got to be ready for pucks on your stick and and on the tape at any time and even when you're not typically ready for it. And that's a little bit of an adjustment. And I think Huberdeau is 
learning and adjusting to playing with two right shot forwards on his line, which he's never done a lot of before. And so I, I think that there is, as we talked, I think we talked a little bit about this last week, this mm-hmm. line makes too much sense to not keep together. This mm-hmm. line makes too much sense to not give an extended runway to see if they can work. And here's the thing. The other lines have all played really well together. Mm-hmm. Coleman, Backlund, and Lewis have been very, very effective and, and kind of quietly strong together, as you'd expect. The, the Kadri line with, with Dubé and Manjapani has been very strong and been their best line, in my opinion, in terms of overall impact. And that line with Rooney, Lucic, and Richie well, has been great. That looks great. They, they've been they've been as as good as they can be in their roles. So mm-hmm. you've got three other lines who have played really well, and you've got this other line with a lot of potential and a lot of reason to let play out. So let it keep playing out. Like if we're talking in December and they still haven't found something, okay, that's a different story. But it's two games into the season, and I know the preseason wasn't great guns either, but they'll figure it out. I really am confident in that because there's too much hockey knowledge, there's too much vision, there's too much skill, there's too much professionalism that I just I think that it's I think it's going to work. It just may not be as quick or as rapid as some of the other lines have been so far. So I just, I, I know it hasn't been great, but they also have had some opportunities to fully has scored a goal. I know it was on the power play, but he's had some opportunities at five on five. He's had a post or two. Um, Huberdeau's had some good moments and Lindholm has still been his very reliable, rock solid two way self. So I, I, I'm quite optimistic about where that line is headed, even if they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably some questions in terms of that lines play driving ability when you have somebody um, like Toffoli who might not be the fastest of foot, but when you've got guys like Lindholm and Huberto who can drive play up ice and who can be really good in transition and get the puck to Tyler Toffoli in the slot um, where we know he is good when he's on his game. I mean, we, we saw it when he was in Montreal with Cole Caulfield. There's a reason those two played well together and Toffoli um, had great trade value. I mean, he he's really good when he has somebody who's threading him, you know, high danger passes in the high slot and he's playing with somebody who can do that. So we'll see how that all uh, kind of turns out for the top line. And it's only been two games for the Calgary Flames. We've heard from Daryl Sutter in the past. You don't really know what your team looks like until game 20. Um, and they've had a ton of changes. There's a ton of new faces, guys trying to to figure each other out. So uh, all that remains to be seen. But I think it's way too soon to start saying you gotta we've got to shake up all the lines. Want to look at the blue line as I mentioned, Pat? You mentioned the Hannafin Anderson pairing. Um, that that pair has been kind of used as the number one duo on the team. Uh, Tanev and Weger, they're also there too. Like both of those pairs have played around 27 minutes each at five on five. Like, do, do you see one of them separating themselves as the number one pair? Or do you think Calgary just has two top pairs in their top four right now? I think, I think when it's all said and done that they will have two top pairs right now, the Hannafin Anderson pairing has been used more frequently as the number one pair. Um, they have taken on the bulk of the tough matchups, you know, against Colorado, with last change, Hannafin and Anderson saw the lion's share of the McKinnon line. And without last change, Hannafin and Anderson, especially when Jay Woodcroft put McDavid and Dreisaitl together, saw a lot of that line. And 
you go take a look at the job that Hannafin Anderson did against McDavid at five on five. They out flames with Hannafin and Anderson on the ice at five on five against McDavid uh, out chance the Oilers three to nothing, which means McDavid did not was not on the ice for a high danger scoring chance against Hannafin and Anderson. And they spent a bulk of the time on the attack and in the offensive zone. That's exactly what you want to do against the line of McDavid and dry saddle. They don't hurt you and you keep them defending. That's that's mission accomplished. And uh, I've really liked what I've seen from those two so far. And, and it's not really all that much of a surprise. They were a top pairing in the NHL last year too and I know things fell off a little bit in the postseason and their series especially against Edmonton was not what they were looking for Um, but I I think that what you've seen in two games from that pairing is kind of exactly where they 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 picked up where they left off last year I think Uyghur and Tanev have been fine but you've got two things there you've got Uyghur adjusting to a new team new responsibilities even after game one I think it was game one or two Daryl Sutter talked about how there's still lots of work for Uyghur to do away from the puck on this team and his checking responsibilities. That's brand new. You go take a look at the way Florida's played the last number of years. It's it's a little bit different than the way the Flames have played, especially last year under Burnett. So Mm -hmm. I think there's some adjustment there. And then for Tanev, you've got Uyghur adjusting to a new team and you've got Tanev on the right side playing with a right shot defender on his left. And I do think that's a little bit of an adjustment as well. So those two things combined, I just think that that pairing, they've been fine. They've been good. They've been solid. I just think that there's still some adjustment going on and, and a bit of a learning curve there too. And I, I think that they'll figure it out uh, in, in very short order too. So I think that's part of why the Hannafin Anderson pairing has been used as the top duo so far, because there's no learning curve. They, they read off one another like they've been doing it for 20 years. So that they've been very good so far and 10, 15, 20 games into the season though, I, I do think we'll be talking about this team having two number one pairings or the ability to use both of those pairings at any given time as a number one, because look, that's what Uyghur did with Ekblad all last year. Tanev and Shillington took on plenty of tough matchups last year. We know what Tanev's capable of. So I think that at, at in any on any given night, home road, depending on the matchup, in very short order, I think Daryl will be able to and will be using that duo as a number one sometimes as well. I've got maybe sixty seconds left with you, Pat. Okay. I've got to ask. Marks from starting. Um, we know that the plan for Dan Vladar is to start him once per week. Um, you know, how do you maybe see Daryl using him this this week or even in this homestand? They've got an eight-game homestand. Are you team split them four and four? Are you team stick with the one game per week? Do you think he's going to play against Buffalo? Maybe he gets a test against Carolina. Talk for most of that 60 seconds, but it's fine. I'm, I'm guessing he'll go against Buffalo. I'm guessing they'll stick with one a week. I like that a lot. That that's guaranteed. Well, not guaranteed, but that's a projection of 26 starts, which is seven more than he got last year. That drops Markstrom down to what 56. That's a that's a solid that's a solid split. And I think Vladar's earned it. And here's the last thing I'll say because I know we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> they've got a they've got a big decision to make on Vladar at the end of the year. The more playing time, the more meaningful playing time they give him, 
a la like what they gave him Saturday against Edmonton, the better, the more evaluation you have, the better, because you've got a choice to make uh, and, and a decision to make about how long a contract, what type of contract you want to sign Vladar to at the end of the year when his entry-level deal runs out. So that also is a fascinating kind of subplot to him getting more time, which he has earned, and he looked great on Saturday against Edmonton. Great stuff. Thank you, my friend. Have a good show tonight. There goes Pat Steinberg. He's going to be on the call for the Flames Golden Knights game at 7 o'clock on Sportsnet 960. He's also the host of Flames Talk. Again, Sportsnet 960. Also available on demand. So is Hockey Central. There he goes on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. Running a little short on time. It's always great to have Pat on, though. I I always love having him on and hearing what he has to say. He does a great job covering the flames. All right, coming up next, we're going to have Ken Belke from the Sinbin Vegas to talk a bit more about this matchup and the Vegas Golden Knights. That's coming up next. We're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back. It's Hockey Central. I'm Haley Salvian here with you for 20 more minutes. 15 more minutes. We're going to go right away to the Atlas Pizza Hotline with Ken Belke from Sinbin Vegas. Ken, how's it going? We're going to chat some uh, Golden Knights. Ken, do you got me? Yeah, I got you. How are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much uh, for joining. Sorry we were a couple minutes late there coming out of the break, but we really appreciate you uh, hopping on the program. Calgary Flames and Vegas Golden Knights playing against each other. Seven. Yeah, of course. Always happy. Uh, game goes at seven o'clock. We had Pat Steinberg on. He's the host of Flames Talk here in Calgary to talk about the Flames side of the matchup. Want to get into a bit of Vegas with you here. I I guess I just want to start off pretty openly with you, Ken. I mean, are we going to learn a bit more about Vegas in the next few days with games against Calgary and and Colorado coming up? I I know they have won their last few, um, but these are some... I always feel strange calling them measuring stick games this early in the season, uh, but a couple of big ones coming up for the Golden Knights. Yeah, it's definitely, you look at the first three games and like the Kings are supposed to be decent, but they didn't play well in that game at all. And then they play Chicago. It wasn't a very good game. Chicago didn't do a lot. And then Seattle was just a mess. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely time. We actually start to learn a little bit more about what the golden Knights are. They've, they've been real good defensively, but they haven't played great defensive teams. They've been able to score, but they haven't really played great goaltending. So as we get to see them play against some teams that are legitimate contenders, I think we are going to learn a lot more about what they are, but let's, we also have to remember it's October, so we can't Mm -hmm. go nuts here. What are some of the early takeaways, though, with this Golden Knights team? I think there was maybe some people on the outside who weren't really sure what to expect, um, you know, just given how last year went with some of the injuries and salary cap, goaltending. Again, it's October. We're about six, seven days into the season starting in North America, you know, taking those European games aside. But what have some of the early takeaways been from the Golden Knights? And I guess more specifically, Bruce Cassidy's Vegas Golden Knights. 
Yeah, so far so good defensively. That was kind of the big question is how was it all going to settle in and how long was it going to take for them to really go from the old system defensively to this new hybrid zone system that they're running. It's been very good to this point. They're not giving up much of anything in regards to odd man rushes. There's not been a ton of breakdowns in the defensive zone. They're not reaching like they used to, and their exits have been pretty good. So as a whole, that's been real good. That's helped the goalies. They've had really one period where they got real great goaltending. Uh, that was the first period against Chicago. Other than that, it's basically been guys doing their job, and that's kept them in the position that they want to be in. And then from there, the the question still remains offensively. Like, I'm, I know they have 10 goals in three games. You'll take that, but they're not exactly – they haven't been pretty. They haven't been doing a lot of passing and then scoring directly off the passes. It's been a lot of broken plays, you know, odd man rushes, breakaways, that type of thing. So there's still definitely uh, the jury's still out on whether or not this team's going to be able to score at a high enough clip to, to compete in this league. You mentioned the the goaltending, you know, so far in what we've seen, they've held, I mean, Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill have looked sharp en route to the, the, the good start for the golden Knights is is goaltending a, a still a question mark for you though? I mean, it's it's a, it's a good start, but it's two kind of unproven guys in terms of splitting or being a number one. Absolutely, there, there's no doubt it's going to be a question for, I would imagine at least a couple of months here, just because even if one or the other or both are heading in the right direction and things are looking good, there's still the idea of like, but neither of them have made it through a full season as a starter. Neither of them have really carried the mail for a team that's, that's through a playoff chase or anything of that sort. So there's definitely going to be those questions as we go forward to this point, Cassidy probably said it best. They haven't allowed a bad goal. They've only allowed what, what is it? Four or five goals to this point. So that's been good, but you know, they, they haven't really played against much offensively like they're going to face tonight and then the rest of this week. Mm-hmm. You know, looking at some of the the offense on this team in Vegas, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, there's there's lots of there's lots of good offensive weapons on this team. I think when Vegas is healthy, uh, where do you see them kind of stacking up against some of the Western Conference's elite teams in terms of, you know, Calgary, Colorado, Edmonton? Like, do they have I know they maybe haven't had that translate yet early on in terms of you know, the, the offensive production, but on paper, where do you think they kind of stack up when we're looking at the offensive ability and the skill sets of, of this forward group? I think they're a little bit short in regards to like scoring talent compared to some of the top teams in the division, in the, in the conference, in the league. Um, but they have a well-rounded enough group that they're going to be able to do it in different ways. Uh, they're always going to be good off the rush. They should be better on the power play, something that was a huge problem under Pete DeBoer. It's been a little bit better to this point, not to a point where you're like thinking they're going to be a top 10 power play team, but it has been better. I think the biggest question, though, becomes what are they going to do with that kind of missing piece? At the moment, they have a missing winger. Phil Kessel's playing that role right now. I don't think that that's going to maintain over the course of a season. Is it going to be a Brett Howden and Nick Waugh? Can Paul Cotter go up there? Are they going to move? Uh, Carlson away from center and have him play wing. They definitely feel a winger short. And then, then the, you know, the, I guess the elephant in the room, are they going to be in on Patrick Kane? They're in on everybody else. Are they going to do that? So, you know, you, you just got to see kind of how it, how it goes, but I still think finishing is going to be a problem. I don't see this team all of a sudden becoming an elite finishing team. I think it's really interesting just how quickly maybe things have changed. And I guess that's the nature of, 
talking about an organization that does make a lot of changes. We're not talking about like a couple little things here and there. You know, they've made some some big moves. You don't have Mac, Max Pacioretty and you've got some guys coming off injury, et cetera. I guess, you know, what's a realistic expectation for guys like Mark Stone and Jack Eichel this season in Vegas? I think Eichel's got to be something near a point per game would be the expectation. We'll see if that he ends up getting that. Nobody in Golden Knights history has ever quite gotten there, and he hasn't had it all that often, but he should be in a situation that if he stays healthy, he should be pushing that. And then for Stone, it comes down to kind of his finishing. You know, sometimes he goes on the streaks where he's able to finish, and he's going to be also near a point per game type of player. When he's not scoring, it kind of relies on the other guys scoring, and then he's probably somewhere around the 60 and 80, you know, situation. So they have guys who can generate points, but they, they, this isn't this isn't McDavid and Dreisaitl. You know, it, it's not that. No, certainly not. I, I mean, that that's a difficult comparison to make. Right. You mentioned Phil Kessel. Um, is there, you know, what are you seeing from him? You know, he's might be, not be the piece that they really need when you're looking at the, the top nine wingers. Um, what have you seen from Phil Kessel so far? It's been a mixed bag to this point. There are the moments where he gets it and he picks out a great pass. There was one against Seattle. He's underneath the goal and he finds uh, Theodore so, put one in that's a really nice play but for the most part it's been a little sketchy in the neutral zone a lot of turnovers there he's not very good along the walls and when he's defending and that's been a problem as that's kind of caused them to have some issues against uh, LA and then certainly Chicago early in that game I just don't know that he fits on a first line with Jack Eichel like I I understand Mm -hmm. what they're going for but just the role that that forces you into especially in road games against good teams it's awfully difficult to think that's going to go but then the third line is is a line that uh, Cassidy wants to play as a defensive line as long as William Carlson's there that's going to be there so there's no way Phil Kessel's fitting there either so I don't know that they've truly found a home for him yet and I'm not sure if they're going to Right. I mean, so the the Golden Knights coming into town playing the Calgary Flames Flames are on an eight-game homestand at the Saddle Dome, do you have anything that you're expecting to see or hoping to see out of this matchup, or or a specific storyline that you're that you're looking at here as the Golden Knights and the Flames have the puck drop at seven o'clock tonight? I think the biggest thing I'm looking for is just how they're going to generate against a team that's probably going to be more buttoned up than the ones that they've played against. And then once they do generate those chances, are they able to get them past a much better goaltender than they've played? Jonathan Quick's the best goaltender they've played. He was good in that game, but he's still, he's Jonathan Quick at this point in his career. The others they've played were Alex Stalock and Martin Jones. It's not exactly a who's who of goaltending compared to what Markstrom can do. So I think that's the biggest piece is like, let's see what are they able to generate in the offensive zone? Are they completely rush reliant because they have been that so far to a, to a degree. And then, you know, when they get these chances and that they are creating, are you able to bury them past a really good goaltender? I mean, I asked this and this will be my last one for you, uh, Ken, before we let you go, I, I asked this about Mark Stone and Jack Eichel, but what is a realistic expectation for the golden Knights this season? I think they're probably, as long as they stay healthy, they, they are going to be a playoff team or at least right in the mix, and, and we'll see what happens down the stretch. If if they're not healthy, that could get a little bit dicey. We'll see what, what happens there and how, how the depth comes through. Paul Cotter coming to the front forefront here has helped. It's going to give them a little bit more depth. I would say the realistic expectation should be 
make the playoffs and then, you know, give somebody hell early on. You know, I don't know if that means win a round or two, or I'm not expecting this to be a cup contending team though. So it's, it's get in and, and, and try your best once you get there. All right. And you know what? I did say that was my last one, but I do have one more for you. Cause you brought up, they might Patrick Kane, who are they going to be in on? I've got to ask you, how are the golden Knights going to swing something at the trade deadline? They've got a 23, Man roster, according to Cat Friendly, 50 contracts, uh, a cap hit of $96 million. <laughs> how how do they do it? Because I, I've gotten – I've taken this on the teeth before because I've just kind of always put Vegas on my, like, trade list, you know, when Matthew Kachuk was potentially getting traded yep. before the move happened. I was like, well, you got to throw you got to throw Vegas in the mix because they're always yep. sniffing around and they're always going to find a way. So can you contextualize – how they are going to be able to do something like that at the deadline this season. Okay. So step one is obviously utilizing LTIR. They've got Leonard on there, Weber's on there. So the 92 or a hundred million or whatever the figure you're looking at. And I don't, I don't need, I can't even wrap my head around it. I don't, it's so (laughs) ridiculous, but that isn't all that big a deal. So if you just say they're pushing up against the cap right now, which they are, they're right against the cap. You move all three players off. So you go from 23 man roster down to 20. So that's going to make at the very least $2.1 million. And then you can probably move someone else out, whether that's a Will Carrier who makes a little bit more money, Keegan Colazar, Brett Howden, Nick Wah. I don't know who it necessarily is. And then Mm -hmm. you buy off half of the contract twice. So if it's Pat Kane and it's 10 million, one team holds 5 million. The other team holds two and a half and they're going to get a player at a quarter of his salary for the rest of the season. That's how it would happen. Is it likely? Probably not, but who am <laughs> I to rule something like that out? There's the playbook, and and there's always the conversation, too, of, you know, and I think this is something that's probably cropped up with Vegas over the last couple of years, is, you know, are they messing with the chemistry too much in this constant yeah. pursuit of the, like, shiny new toy that they're chasing? But maybe that's yeah, a conversation I mean, for another day. It, it, it's <laughs> correct. It's hard to tell. I mean, we'll see. So far, 3-0, and you can't say there's all that messed up chemistry, but they've had some troubles in Calgary. They've gotten blown out up there a number of times, and things could change if that happens again tonight. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll see how that goes. Games at 7 o'clock, Calgary Saddle Dome, Flames versus Golden Knights, first matchup of the season. Thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks for joining us. And you can uh, check yeah, Ken out on the uh, Sinbin Vegas. Sorry, Ken. Thank you. <laughs> yep. There goes Ken Belke from Sinbin Vegas on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. That conversation brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery. Call 403-248-3344, or you can dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. All right, so as mentioned there at the end of the conversation with Ken and throughout the show, Calgary Flames... Coming up tonight, 7 o'clock, against the Vegas Golden Knights. Jacob Markstrom gets the start. Flames, lines, and pairs look pretty much the same as the last few games. You can check those out on Pat Steinberg's Twitter. He always posts those. You can hear Pat Steinberg and Derek Wills on the call on Sportsnet 960 tonight. That's all we got for Hockey Central. Sportsnet 960, I'm Haley Salvian. Thanks so much for listening.